Hello, and welcome to Unhedged, a candid discussion of markets and mechanisms. I am your host, Frank Trois, a 25-year-plus veteran of the markets, both bull and bear. Joining me on the show are market participants ranging from hedge funds to fintech, and as diverse and eclectic a group as winemakers and priests. All of us, like you, asking the same question we all do when we turn on the TV nowadays. Why? Unhedged is a weekly podcast, and on occasion a bi-weekly podcast, based on the subject matter. You can subscribe to Unhedged through iTunes. As always, your feedback is appreciated, both good and bad. So let's get started. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to SohoCap.com slash Unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Unhedged. Today's guest for our third segment here is Robert Picard, who is probably one of the smartest and best-looking gentlemen on the street today in the alternative community. Robert, again, thank you for indulging us and letting us pick your brains for this third segment. I'm, I couldn't let you off the hook where you left it with Icon and Trump. And, and, um, and in the spirit of that, you know that uh, we picked up our bags and left the United States about five years ago, came to Singapore. You're in New York City. What, what, what's the tone and temperament in, in, in the city right now regarding what's going on in the administration? I mean, is, is Wall Street today excited about this or, or are these guys finally or, or are they now more concerned about the state of things? Well, uh, it's a great question. And, and I'll, uh, I'll uh, tread, tread lightly, but try to share as much <laughs> as, uh, as, uh, as I can in, in what I see firsthand. Uh, first of all, New York City uh, and most of the larger cities in the country are obviously not necessarily um, pro-Trump. And I think in New York City, per se, is, is a city that specifically has lived with Trump for many, many years and, uh, based on his travails throughout, throughout that period, have really not been uh, – he's sort of been a bit of a, a joke to many New Yorkers, uh, per se. That's clearly not the view – uh, for uh, many other uh, Americans, and he was ultimately elected president. I think what's interesting is Wall Street um, remains and has been, uh, to a certain degree, uh, supportive of Trump. Uh, I think that um, over the past two years, uh, what we've seen, um, we were hoping for our, a, a first in, in, in American history or presidential um, history is the fact that we have a businessman uh, with limited uh, political experience, um, ascends to the, 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 the role. And I think a lot of people had uh, great hopes. And uh, he was very much running on the concept of um, uh, being a disruptor and someone who, uh, quote-unquote, had the art of the deal. Now, obviously, um, uh, with the caveat, the person who actually ghost wrote the art of the deal, Tony Schwartz, I think Tony Schwartz is um, Donald Trump's biggest detractor or one of his biggest detractors where, yep. uh, as, yep. as Tony Schwartz will put it, the art of the deal was written by Tony Schwartz and not by Donald right. Trump. And I think what people are starting to um, become aware of is the fact that we're going into a period of um, unprecedented turmoil uh, 
relating to his his role as president, and it's become becoming more and more difficult. I think the the the, the instability as it relates to trade tariffs, um, tax, uh, large debt. Um, the Republican Party, the GOP, has been generally the party of for fiscal conservatism, and they're now running the largest deficit um, in recent history. And uh, it's 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 quite a concern, I think, and it's starting to shock quite a few people. And, and what I've written to you over the last six months, and I've shared with investors, is the fact that um, uh, I found that you know the biggest risk right now really aren't uh, markets per se and or um, basic economics. The biggest risk relate entirely to uh, political leaders and decisions that are made now uh, that, are, that are not typically or traditional decisions when it comes to the economy. I mean, the tariffs have been brutal, and uh, we don't really see how um, he's struck any deals that have been beneficial as it relates to either China, um, Europe, and or uh, Mexico and Canada recently. So it's been it's been really very frustrating, and uh, I think sort of that even for diehard um, Wall Streeters and um, um, uh, Republicans, I think or conservative fiscal conservatives, I think that some of that luster and excitement is starting to wear off and wear very thin right now, and we're starting to see it both in his popularity and in the markets. I mean, we had a very large and significant sell-off uh, over the past three months. And uh, that instability is, uh, has not come back. We're now entering into the longest uh, government shutdown in history. And uh, I think there are no less than 17 separate investigations of uh, Donald Trump. And I think it's a, it should be a concern uh, for investors. And uh, clearly, it's been a concern as that market's been uh, correcting over the past three months. But if we let, – let, let's and, – and I want to be clear for our listeners that, that you know, as we – as we position this, um, you know, the, the, you know, you're, you're, you're able to speak for a constituent constituency of folks back there, back East that, you know, so this is not only your view, but, uh, but what you see as a consensus view in, in the community. And, um, so I, so I want to be careful that our, that our listeners can distinguish the fact that this is not just you per se, but your ability to say, Hey, anecdotally, this, this is what we're seeing and hearing. And, let me, let me give you a contra point where this was a, a cynical point that somebody shared with me that um, I found very, very hard to push back on. And he basically said, Frank, why do we even have to care? Because he said, on the one hand, when you look at who his base is, uh, you have, and, and he used a very, very crass description of what that white voter looked like and what demographic base they were in. And you know, so if we look at it as the, the the regrettable stereotype of that Nazi supporter, you know, and that was the analogy that he used. And he said, so on the one hand, I've got that guy. And on the other hand, I have Obama's uh, base. And I said, wait, I said, wait a minute, how do you tie these two together? I don't understand. And he goes, well, he said, at the end of the day, Trump's base actually believes that he's helping them when in fact, everything he's done has put them in a worse off position. So he said, if these, if these folks were stupid enough to vote for him and if economically they're getting hurt by it and they don't even understand it, he goes, that's not my problem. And then the second thing that he said was he goes, the, when, when you look at how the vote shaped up where you had for, you know, you had Obama's base, which didn't show up. They didn't vote. 
you know, where, where districts and areas where Clinton was expecting these folks to show up, they, they simply didn't. So his view was, you know what, Hey, if, if, if that, if that voter base that support Trump is too ignorant and now he was qualifying by saying too stupid to even appreciate the fact that this guy as president is taking money out of their pockets, not my problem. And then saying on the other end, Hey, I recognize in, in regards to some of the social programs that, yeah, they're getting hurt too, but you know what? That's Obama's base. And they just made a, a conscious decision not to vote. And, and it's their own fault that they, they, you know, that they didn't do that. And, and his view is just fine. Hey, if I'm getting lower taxes and everything else, I'm just going to make as much money as I can under this administration and, and, you know, come see, come saw, you know, I don't, I don't care about that. I mean, is, is that a dysfunctional view or is it, or is it, is, is, you know, can you and I look at this and say, you know what? Yeah, they're actually, maybe it is that simple to look at this whole thing through that lens. Well, I, I would say that's, that's a, um, a very cynical and if anything, it, it saddens me to hear that view and I'll, I'll explain why, uh, which is, um, everything you and I do, Frank, on a daily basis, every time we pick up the phone, every time we talk with an investor or even we talk with our local barista, um, it's about trust. Everything we do when it comes to money management, everything it does, whether you're, not, you're ordering your, your – your, uh, your, your, what do you order at Starbucks? Something – a complicated order or is it something, you know, the latte with, you know, extra soy milk? You're trusting that she's going to put soy milk in it, and she's not going to substitute that for something. And, and what, I'm, what I'm getting at is um, it comes down to trusting in our system, trusting in our election or electoral process, trusting in the numbers that are coming out, statistics that are coming from our Federal Reserve, and that the people, whether they be on the Obama base or on the Trump base, that they can trust that whoever is pontificating um, on the other side, that they can trust that that person will deliver to them. If you lose that trust, uh, besides that the fact that it could create a significant arbitrage, if there's a lack of trust, we're invariably going to find a period of instability, and it can quickly spiral out of control, whether it has to do with the Fed. And I'll, and I'll go directly to one of the, the scariest things I heard recently, which was Michael Lewis uh, of course, who's the author of um, yeah, Flash sure. Boys and Liars Poker, Liars Poker, and um, uh, a number of other great books, uh, and of course, The Big Short. Uh, Michael Lewis just came out with a new book uh, called The Fifth Risk, and I haven't read that yet. So it's a great book, and basically, his concept is most people, you know, if we're asking you, Frank, what are your biggest fears for your family, for your household, and for the market, you can generally come up with three or four risks pretty quickly. But in the fifth risk is, is, is difficult to very often come by quickly. And invariably, what, what Michael Lewis's uh, premise is, is the fifth risk is that one risk you haven't thought about. So let that sink in. So when Michael Lewis talks about this book and the fifth risk, he's talking right now. There's, and this was an example he gave. He said, everything Trump has um, touched since he's come to office has basically reduced the trust in that institution. The um, elect, election process in the United States has lost trust. People believe the markets, the, 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 the system was manipulated. They believe there was voter suppression. They believe that it was, um, um, uh, there was micro-targeting, the uh, data was stolen, any number of things. But invariably, people aren't trusting. Uh, the Republican Party chose not to uh, invest any money to um, uh, improve that system. The Democrats are right now, now that they've taken over at the midterms, in the House of Representatives are now investing to 
uh, bring about or try to reinstate some trust in the election system. Another area of trust we went after, uh, Trump went after um, uh, not only the election system, he went after trade. Um, you can't trust our partners. You can't trust China. You can't trust um, the uh, Canadian, the Canadian uh, markets. And he's basically slowly, everything he's focused on, you can't trust the FBI. The Federal Bureau of Investigation, um, I'm sure, has its pitfalls, but to a certain degree has been a highly functioning um, uh, group of law enforcement over the years, as has the Department of Justice as an independent uh, judicial body that does come under the um, executive branch or under the rules of the executive branch. He has desperately tried to undermine and to a certain degree destroy and remove the trust. There's an entire Trump base in this country that believe that the FBI is a corrupt organization. Yeah. Uh, there's an entire base that believes that the election system is corrupt in our, in, our, in our world. So Michael Lewis brought up the other day saying, how long would it take Donald Trump to undermine and reduce trust in our financial system? And he basically said, all he has to do is go to a number of rallies and start saying, oh, guess what? The Chinese owe us money. They have all of our debt. We, we shouldn't pay them any interest on it. That interest represents 30 or 40% of our budget, of our deficit. We're just going to stop paying them. And he has to say that at the rally. The people wearing the red hats in the rally will cheer him on. I'm quoting right now. This, these are Michael Lewis's words. I'm probably not doing him justice in repeating his words correctly. But he basically said all it would take is a few rallies like that, the media to pick up on it. The media has been extremely complicit in, um, in, in, in prom promoting uh, Trump's uh, dangerous language. And it's enough to suddenly China would fear that they're not going to get repaid. I would start selling uh, the bonds. And invariably, you'll see a significant um, uh, price drop in treasuries. And suddenly, the entire system you know, will go into, under potential cre credit review by Moody's, Fitch, and others. And suddenly, you've got a situation where he's totally undermined the trust. And that's where I'm saying, yes, from a pure market perspective, that would give you, myself, and your friend the ability to potentially make money and, and have an arbitrage. But in reality, we still should be promoting. And what has been great about the United States um, ec economy and the United States Federal Reserve System has been since World War II, we have been a stabilizing market for the world. And we have been a leader in the world for stabilizing the markets because one could trust in the U.S. Treasury. And the concern that Michael Lewis was saying is the fifth risk right now is if Trump was to decide to try to undermine that trust, that could be a great concern for us. Now, do I think he's going to do that? I hope not. But I could see that very possibly happening. And I think he's already started with the government shutdown right now, where it's, you know, he, he basically threatened that he was suggesting or there were uh, rumors from the White House and sources were saying that he was looking to try to fire Jerome Powell, which he can't. Uh, Jerome Powell is yeah, the current um, federal, uh, uh, the head of the, of the, uh, the Federal Reserve. Um, but the fact that he's just saying that, the fact that Mnuchin, uh, Steve Mnuchin, the, the Treasury Secretary, was calling from Cabo. I mean, what sort of message does it say when your Treasury Secretary is sitting on a beach in Cabo and for no reason or no apparent reason that's, that's visible to the investment community over Christmas is calling the five, four or five largest banks to ask if they have enough liquidity to meet um, uh, redemptions or, or reserves. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, that's, that's just, yeah. it clearly doesn't yeah. support trust in our system and um, a safe pair of hands. So that's something that um, I think we should just think about and be mindful of. And I think it's, it's going to become more and more, I think that um, 
in the United States, both the electorate, um, where at the midterms, uh, the Democratic Party had the largest gain of seats since Watergate. Uh, I think even in the Republican Party, you're starting to see um, great concern. And I think there's going to be a, a significant change um, uh, going over the coming months as it relates to um, the risks that Donald Trump's policies pose to our system uh, and our financial system. And I hopefully it'll it'll have positive results uh, for the economy and for the markets. But, you know, the, the, I'm going to I'm going to push back. And again, you know, the the you know, I'm doing this in a disingenuous way, but I'm going to push back on you just just for the sake of um, having a contrapoint. I mean, the let let let. I saw a quote the other day that really stood out to me when McConnell, who I, I think now McConnell is the most important and powerful person in, in government today. I think he's he's you know, more so than the president, more so than the, the speaker. And my sense is that he he's really relishing this moment, you know, of our generation to 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 be the Lyndon Johnson of our generation in terms of the control he has over the Senate. And. You know, and, and actually, forgive me for digressing, but I think it's also interesting relative to the Senate majority that occurred in the vote. What what most people don't realize is that the candidates that came in, uh, you know, basically did not go in with a pro-Trump message as a Republican, but rather, you know, espousing a traditional Republican agenda and being a check against Trump. You know, and, and so people think that you know, that, that Senate majority wasn't a function of, you know, pro-Trump. It was actually, you know, core Republican voters saying, you know, great example, core Republican voters saying, hey, I'm going to put a Mitt Romney in there, you know, and, and hence Romney's Washington Post piece. How, um, let me push back on this. I, I, I would say to you that, that if, if we were looking at this through the historical lens, you know, he, he's obviously throwing up a lot of noise. But again, if we look at some of the substance of the discussion, you know, people would say that, you know, and, and how much of this is being driven by him, how much of this is being driven by Wilbur Ross. But the reality is we're finally having the conversation with China regarding IP that had to be had. And, and you know, going back to Tim Cook, as we were saying earlier with, with Carl Icahn, I know that when I talk to my colleagues in California, they say that, you know, Tim publicly will talk about slowing iPhone sales in China and, you know, a 20 to 25% pullback in sales. But privately, he's telling the administration, no, you keep stepping on their throat. We, we do need this. You know, they've been stealing our stuff. You know, they've been taking advantage of our supply chain there. So on the one hand, I would argue, you know, and again, I don't want to give credit to the, to him because I don't think he's driving much of anything, but from, from a historical perspective, you know, could we argue that what's happening with China actually is going in the direction that we want? Part two of that is, could we argue that McConnell is the check in the system? And I think right now he's betted on red as far as the Supreme Court. I think right now he's looking at Ruth Bader Ginsburg and saying, hey, I might get another one uh, to, you know, to put in a chair. And, you know, for the Republican Party, are they playing the long game? Because going back to your earlier point on the third thing, look, we, we know Trump has enough data where if they wanted to, they could get rid of him. You know, we all know that. And just that right now, it's just not an expeditious time to do that. You know, the last thing we need is to have an, an impeachment discussion. And, you know, so from the Republican standpoint, it's like, great, nail down the China IP issue. Maybe we get another seat on the court and let's gear up for 2020. And worst case scenario, maybe close to 2020, they do pull the ripcord, negotiate a deal, get him out of there. Uh, you know, and then focus and rally around Pence. 
you know, so, so what, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, again, because from a historical so, perspective, part of me, you know, I'm, relative I'm, to Nixon, I, I keep thinking that this is, it's not so bad, you know, I'm, I mean, I'm, as bad as it seems, but. I'm going to challenge you. Go ahead. Um, I think that um, we're, what we're living right now is unprecedented. Listen, I could be totally wrong. And, and, and that's a caveat for listeners. And I tell this to all my investors. I could be totally wrong. Uh, Donald Trump could be um, the art of the deal. He's the greatest negotiator of all time. He is effectively um, will be successful at crushing, uh, you know, peace in the Middle East. He'll be crushing China. Um, he'll be, um, you know, creating um, wonderful things. It's totally possible. I think what's more likely, in my view, uh, is we're living something that's been is unprecedented in the history of this country. Uh, there are 17 investigations. Uh, he is right now. We know he's an unindicted co-conspirator um, uh, in a felony, um, and that's just one of the, the, the 17 uh, investigations. To a certain degree, McConnell, um, it, it, to a certain degree, it's a bit like Fight Club. I think within the Republican Party, uh, what we're not seeing is everyone believes that they're being very um, docile and um, bending down towards Trump. I think there's a very, very... Um, big fight going on uh, within the Republican Party between uh, Trump sym sym sympathetic uh, Republicans and uh, never Trumpers uh, within the movement. And that's a, that's a fight that's becoming um, very relevant because if you game this, knowing that he's an undicted co-conspirator, there is Congress will have no choice but to, um, you know, maybe they'll they'll use Mueller as a scapegoat to avoid the impeachment discussion in, in the event that the Department of Justice reverses its position and decides that they can indict the sitting president. But if not, they are required by law and by their oath um, on the Constitution to basically start uh, impeachment proceedings. And the Senate, depending on what comes out, will invariably be forced to um, impeach him. And the question is, to what degree is Pence involved or potentially tainted with that same uh, investigation um, uh, relating to Trump. And if that were the case, they run the great risk of suddenly having um, Nancy Pelosi next in line to the throne, per se, or to, that's the, true. to the role. And, and, and that's something that's quite frightening, obviously, for the Republican Party. So it's, it's my belief that McConnell, from a game theory perspective, has to be trying to figure out a win-win for the party and a win-win for his role as um, speaker to continue. And knowing that um, if anything is true from the most recent election in the midterms, next time up, there's a significant amount of uh, candidates uh, from the Republican Party in the Senate that are coming up for reelection. And it could be quite, um, quite painful. And I, and I think at some point he's going to have to jettison or unhitch his wagon. Uh, and I, McConnell is probably an extremely shrewd um, uh, operator, and he knows exactly uh, how he wants to handle it. So he's someone to watch, and he's been extremely quiet during the shutdown. Uh, he's been, to a certain degree, supportive um, uh, of Trump, but to a certain degree, his silence uh, is, is, is complicity. But at the same time, I think it'll be very interesting to see how he plays this out uh, from a game theory perspective, because he's going to have to um, uh, act, uh, because it's going to be untenable uh, based on the way the Constitution runs and the way the investigations are evolving. Uh, Trump will not be able to stay in office for long. Yeah, you know, it was it was. Uh, uh, I, I think it was interesting just to just to see, you know, here you have Romney, who technically wasn't even 
in office yet as senator firing out that op-ed piece in the Washington Post. And, and, and I have to be honest with you, and you, you, you know this, that um, when I was in California, we were very involved with uh, California politics. And I, I, I was really torn between Romney and Obama. You know, both both of whom uh, um, you know I liked a lot, and and you know, and I, I would. But what's that event they do in New York? Um, and Rob, you would know this—the one with the cardinal, where they kind of roast one another. What is oh, it? The, um, uh, yeah, I forgot the name of it, but it's uh, it's. Um, I, I can't recall the name offhand, but I, I know exactly what you're referencing. Yeah, and I, and I and you know, when you go back, I, I always like uh, you know the the I remembered you know when Obama and, and Romney did it. I mean, it was good spirited mutual roasting, very respectful. And, and, you know, there, there's a, you know, the, the, at the end of the day, there should always be a tone and tenor to politics. And, it, you know, I always use that event, you know, like when, when it was uh, Trump and Clinton and it was just a disaster, you know, how he just took it down so far. And, uh, uh, but, you know, it remains to be interesting. And, and, and Rob, just to kind of um, wrap it up, I want, I want to thank you for your candidness. And again, I give you kudos. You, you, you walk the razor's edge in terms of, uh, uh, your views. And, and I would encourage our listeners to, to reach out to you offline for more. And uh, any last trade ideas? So as folks are listening to this, getting ready for the weekend, you know, this quarter, what, what, what do they need to have on their radar? I've been leading with my chin saying, you know what, you're probably not going to do too bad by having cash in a mattress. But, but, you know, is there one or two or three ideas that you think investors should be thinking about? Well, thank you, Frank, for the kind words. And clearly, um, you're, you're, uh, I, I wish you could, I could have you next to me at any dinner with an investor because uh, it makes me feel very warm inside and uh, I'm glad I, I, I'm comforted by your words. First of all, it's the Al Smith dinner. I think what you're referencing. That's it. The roast. It's the That's Al it. Smith. Um, as it comes to ideas, I, I've got several ideas, um, one of which is uh, I'm very bullish on gene editing technology. Uh, I think there's some new technologies as they apply to healthcare that are extremely exciting and are great um, short-term and longer-term investments and will do very, very well uh, for everyone. Um, I think the rest is um, to be extremely cautious. I, I, I'm very fearful. Um, I think you want to be in high dividend uh, stocks. I'm concerned about the markets. I'm just concerned that the markets haven't fully um, discounted um, the fact that we're um, – very close to a potential, and I'm just saying it's a potential constitutional crisis in the United States, one of which we've never seen um, in history. Uh, and that's from uh, Michael Beschloss. I, I used to work, I was partners with, uh, Michael Beschloss is a, a uh, leading presidential historian. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, wor I yeah. worked with uh, his spouse, Afsane Beschloss, who runs the Rock Creek Group oh, in Washington, D.C. And uh, Alan Greenspan actually shares offices with Afsane. And uh, Michael and others, um, uh, have referenced this as unprecedented. And what we're seeing now has never been really seen before in uh, presidential yeah, for sure. um, history. So, you know, just be careful, be cautious, be smart. But uh, gene editing technology, there's exciting developments um, in the ability to uh, help um, your immune system as it relates to cancer and other um, uh, illnesses. And uh, it's really exciting. It gives, it, you know, I can be very negative at times, but I there are some things that are so exciting, really so exciting. I, I literally you start, negative never. No, no, I get really excited about um, what's going on in healthcare and technology meeting healthcare and opportunities to save money and 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 uh, you know if we can avoid chemo and, and find alternative therapies, uh, it's a dream for all of us. Um, it's it's really exciting. 
Good stuff. And when, when do you think we're going to have a, uh, an ETA on hedge speak? So when, 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 when are you going to have your show up and going and when, so, when so is that going to be there? Hedge speak has been around for, for 10 years. The actual podcast is going to be starting in the first quarter, uh, 2019. So it's coming up and, uh, we're going to have Good. some of the leading, uh, hedge fund managers, some of the best and the brightest, and hopefully, uh, they'll have some exciting anecdotes, uh, to share and, uh, and That's share with, terrific. Uh, with, uh, the listeners. Thank you. No, that'd be great. And and again, I think, you know, you, you, you've had, uh, you're being very humble, but, but I think it would behoove folks to listen to that broadcast. And, and again, Rob, we're, we're just before we go, what, what is the best way we'll, we'll have a link for you on, on, on our site, but as folks Google you, what's, what's the best way for them to, uh, to reach out to you, you know, given one, your, your investment endeavors two what you're doing with HedgeSpeak, and then three, uh, uh, you know, your, your nuanced view of, of political events today. Is, is there a website that you want them to go to or, or an email that they should use? Yeah, they can go to uh, hedgespeak.com. That's a hedge speak, similar to Newspeak from Orwell. They can also go to uh, the, the Rumson Ridge Group or just look up Robert Picard uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, I appear relatively quickly. Or, you know, they can, I'm on Twitter at, at Rob Picard and, um, uh, if not, uh, Rob Picard and LinkedIn, Robert Picard. Perfect. And we'll have your, uh, we'll have your details up on our side as well. And again, thanks for taking the time today. Really appreciate it as always, always a pleasure talking with you and we, we'd love to have you on again. And, uh, on that note for our listeners, that'll wrap us up here for uh, this week's segment of unhedged. Thank you as always for your time and input. Please feel free to support the broadcast. Uh, we are now on iTunes, and we're expecting to have this on several other sites very, very soon based on our producer's hard work. So thank you again for listening. And, Rob, again, you have a wonderful weekend with the family, and uh, I'm sure we'll talk next week. Right back at you, Mr. Troy, the hardest working man in Asia. <laughs> thank you, sir. Have a great weekend. We'll see you soon. Take care. Be well. And that'll do it for this week's segment of Unhedged. As always, thank you for tuning in, and we'll look forward to talking and speaking next time. Take care. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to sohocap.com slash unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. <laughs>